Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story contexts because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. All right, Derek, it's time to, to plant your baby trees and find your little furry buddies that are gonna you're going to go on a venture with. Let's hit the dance floor and talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. step away from eating Taryn to do this wonder tour <laughs> <laughs> all right welcome to wonder tour we are here today talking about gardens of the galaxy um this is a movie that is super fun and um i think we're using the word vibrant today a lot aren't we drew vibrant is the theme of this episode I love this movie. I think this we've done a lot of movies that land in my, you know, maybe top 50 or 25 movies so far. This movie is my favorite Marvel movie, I think even over Endgame. And I watching it again every time it just cements that for me that this movie, it just clicks together with my brain, my personality, whatever it is. There's just not much to dislike in this movie. I mean, it's it's cohesive. It's the the story is awesome. It it holds itself together amidst the bigger MCU. It's at like the right scale where like you feel like there's stuff at stake, but also you feel like it's okay for the Guardians of the Galaxy, who are kind of just like this ragtag group of people without superpowers, to somehow be able to make it through this through teamwork and friendship. It's like I don't know what it is. I mean, it's the style of the movie. It's it's the pacing of it. It's the scenery that we get to see. I love this movie, Derek. It feels to me like the original Star Wars trilogy. That's why I love it. Oh yeah, with all the with all the um, space to kind of wonder about what else is going on in this world, right? Um, you know, we think about uh, when they go to nowhere. And there's just all this, you know, culture out there and all these different, you know, individual little pockets of what's going on. Um, yeah, it causes you to kind of think about what else is going on in this universe. And I had the same feeling when I was, you know, watching uh, Star Wars for the first time, episode four, and, you know, and just thinking about Tatooine and, uh, you know, uh, Mos Eisley. Right. And you just see all these all this hustle and bustle. Um, it's got the same feel to it, so I can see exactly what you're saying there. Good, it good almost parallel. seems like it's mapped onto it. I mean, when you, like nowhere in Tatooine, you just kind of set it right. They're like these lawless worlds that are like on the outer rim, basically. There's all kinds of diversity in these worlds. You got people from all kinds of backgrounds doing all kinds of kinds of jobs, and they're all mingling in these kind of weird environments, like the cantina scene. You got the cantina and the kind of the bar scene mapped onto each other. I mean, even like. 
honestly, the collector is kind of like Jabba the Hutt, right? He's there and he's like, he's honestly, I'm not sure what's happening in that scene, but like once he sees the power stone, he's like fingering for like a button underneath of his desk or something. It almost seems like he's going to like drop him down like Luke Skywalker to the Rancor, but he doesn't actually get to it before she, um, the, the girl grabs the, the power stone. I mean, honestly, like the whole thing feels <laughs> yeah. like, it, it feels like Star Wars and I love it so much. Yeah. yeah, you're picking up you're picking up some good threads. And I mean, it's just it's just threads of good storytelling, um, you know, and good narrative, uh, you know. So, um, all right. What are we, we going to jump into first? I mean, I'm just like, you know, there's a lot going on. Yeah, I mean, let's just start with the movie. Uh, this is the beginning of the movie, just to set everybody straight on what's going on here. We've been doing a good job, I think, in our minds of moving away from a linear storytelling. But we should touch on the plot a little bit. The opening scene is Peter and his mom, Meredith. Um, she's dying of some disease in a hospital bed. And she gives him the cassette tape that he has in his Walkman that he really cherishes. And then after that, he goes outside and he gets beamed up into a ship, which is, I guess, Yondu um, and the Ravagers. So we see that scene that kind of just sets the stage for us for who Quill is and what challenges he's going to go through in his character development. The next scene, I'm I'm not going to lie to you, Derek. The first time I saw this movie in theaters, I don't know what I was going through at the time, but I did not think I was going to like it. I, I kind of remember begrudgingly going to see the movie. And then I saw the scene where he's on Morag, where he's uh, he's on this dark planet with nobody there and he's kind of being followed or whatever. And he's going to find this ancient artifact that he doesn't know what it is, but it's the power stone. And then suddenly he just like, he takes off his, his mask. That's kind of hiding his face and he uh, come and get your love comes on and he puts his headphones on and he's just having fun with it. And he's like, he's running and he's punting the little like lizard guys. And then he's like grabbing the one and singing into it. Like it's a microphone. And I was just like, all right, I'm in love with this movie already. There's just something about yeah. this guy. I love how much fun he has, even when he's in a dangerous place. Well, and uh, yeah, and that's what I think the genius of it is, you know, just in general, the storytelling here is just the um, it sets the tone and that tone continues to be. Well, it's not even a tone. It's more of like a a melody of sorts, which is just like, you know, there's serious and then there's not serious, serious and not serious, serious and not serious. And you see that that repeat over and over. And I think that is like contrast, you know, and it brings us back to the the whole vibrancy thing. Uh, that we kind of touched on at the beginning. Um, and let's let's talk about the vibrancy of the movie, you know, where it's like you've got like a soundtrack, you've got all these colors, um, you know, just everything's turned up. I don't know if you've ever played around with like Photoshop and turn up the saturation on Photoshop on a photo, um, you know, when all these colors start to really jump out. I mean, it gets to be a little too much sometimes, but there is certainly something there that we want to pull apart today uh, about, you know, really seeing the world like this, right? Yeah, and we can see it in that that Morag scene that we were just talking about there. And, and you immediately get this idea of who Quill is and how he perceives reality from the way that he's kind of like, and, and maybe at the beginning you could even argue, like you were kind of alluding to, that He's taking it too much or not seriously enough. And we all know that no people or have been through parts of our lives where we take 
think we don't take things seriously enough. I think more commonly, though, in current, I can only, again, speak to current Western culture and even more narrowly only to my experience, really. But I think we take things too seriously. So this movie, like you said, that was brilliant. What you're saying, like the contrast between the seriousness and the the fun aspect of it, it just somehow melds perfectly in this movie to create a just an aspirational view of the world for us. I mean, just look at that scene that Quill has when he finds the relic or the artifact or whatever it is there. And he's going to, uh, and like Korath comes in and the cyborg and like the other people who are hunting him or hunting after the relic, whatever. And he has this scene with him and he's like, I'm Storm Lord. He's like, <laughs> right. So he's just having fun with these guys. You have another pointing guns at him. He's really having fun with these guys. And he, he just ha- like when he he does like the limbo type thing when Korath shoots the big rocket at him and blows the hole in the wall that he escapes through. I mean, he's just having fun with it. He's living in the moment and enjoying every second of it. And there's just something in me that really wants to be like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, improvisation. Right. And, um, you know, and, and that's the it's kind of the essence of instinct you know, vibrancy and being vibrant, you know, has a lot to do, I think, with your instinct. And uh, I mean, his instinct was on full display in that scene. He was really like, you know, just just kind of jamming on all the different (laughs) changes that were happening to him dynamically. Honestly, the more chaotic it got, the more he loved it. Um, Although, you know, in that scene, I mean, you always I don't know what your subtext is in your brain, you know, when you're when you're watching it. But I was just like, gee, I hope he does not make a mistake and get killed. (laughs) I think we're always thinking that about our favorite heroes in any scene. Uh, But heck, I was even thinking about like, I know this is a complete divergence, but I don't care. Um, That's what this is about. Uh, I think about Saved by the Bell when somebody has like an embarrassing moment. Uh, It's like a really old show, right? but it's about being in school and and in these kids, they have like this embarrassing moment. And when I watched it on TV, I honestly was like, I, I have to turn the channel right now. <laughs> I don't even want to watch this go down because I really like these people and I don't want these kids to get in trouble or whatever, you know, was happening on the story. My point is, is like there's, you know, the, the, the chaos gets to a point where you're like, you know, you cringe for, you know, I, I hope that he still gets to be spontaneous and, you know. Uh, nothing happens to him. So anyway, just kind of thought it was interesting. Well, let me fold that thread into the next section here. I'm not going to talk too much about the what the Ronin parts of it, except for to say that there's this conflict set up between Ronin, the Cree kind of fanatic who wants to, you know, is going on a crazy rampage essentially, and Thanos who seemingly I don't know if they have some kind of an agreement or more of a, I'm telling you to do this so that I don't kill you or whatever. But Thanos has, has Ronan going after the power stone for him. And then Thanos's daughters, Gamora and Nebula are introduced here. And they are both, they both have issues with Thanos. They have issues with Ronan. And so there's a lot of conflict there. So I don't want to go much into that. That'll kind of, that, that thread just falls throughout the movie. So, but the important scene for me here is and and I want to talk about what you talked about with improvisation is when they're on Xandar, the kind of big bustling world, and Quill's trying to sell the orb to the broker, 
this is where the Guardians, except for Drax, all start to meet up. We have Rocket and Groot doing some funny stuff. They're looking for bounties. They're, they're, they're working as bounty hunters right now. We have Gamora, who has her own agenda, and she's coming after Quill. And you just see this, like, improvisational fight between all of these people who have, you know, they're just, like, trying to live the best they can in the moment, and all of them have things that they're running from and running to, and none of them are aligned on any of that, basically. And it ends up in, in obviously, a catastrophe as they all end up going to jail, and John C. Riley's character kind of comes and <laughs> as the, the protector of Xandar kind of comes and uh, cleans him up and puts him into the kiln, this prison there. I just... We're immediately introduced into the fact that these characters are improvisers, and that then is magnified um, when they work together to improvise a solution to get out of the prison that they're put into there. And they also add Drax to the team as uh, Drax has a vendetta against Gamora. They uh, Quill goes to save Gamora and then he convinces Drax. Quill's very persuasive. That's definitely one of his kind of leadership superpowers is he's very persuasive. So he's good. He's just good at explaining things and convincing people to do even the littlest things. But definitely the big stuff here. So he gets Drax to be like, no, no, like, actually, you should work with Gamora because it's really Thanos pulling the strings. Hey, they, hey, one second before you before you leave John C. Riley too far behind. <laughs> I just I really just wanted him to introduce himself as I'm the magic man. Get <laughs> you to jail now. <laughs> I love that movie. I love Talladega Nights. Okay. Um yeah, so you're talking about, you know, Quill convincing Drax. Uh, I'll I'll let you get back to that because that was that was good. You're 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 showing how basically you're showing how uh, and, and I think this is the the big narrative here, which is when you have a lot of people that are improvisational and uh, wow, it, it's really hard. But can we talk about for a second how hard it is to get people who are really spontaneous and improvisational to work together? Uh, let let maybe we could talk about that for a second. Um, this is typically, and I'm not going to get deep into Enneagram stuff, but I will say that the Enneagram uh, Type 7, which is the enthusiast, uh, is well-rooted here. Uh, and all these individuals, just about, I'm not saying they're all, in, you know, but they all are Type 7 to some extent. Um, like I said, they're not all Type 7s, just saying that they have those that that quality. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, like you said, they're all trying to improvise and they're all starting to realize, though, that there are some shortcomings with that. It works really well when you're on your own and you're improvising and you're coming up with ideas. Um, but not everybody always buys into your ideas, do they? And I think that's something to, important to reflect on uh, when you are someone that has a lot of ideas all the time, um, like. I mean, we, we talk all the time, Drew, you know, we always have these ideas, right? Um, but you have to find the right time and place and the fit and the alignment. And uh, we'll come back to aligning some of that stuff uh, later. Um, but I want to touch on it there because I think that, that there is a good part of the meat of this movie that these guys have to go through some tough stuff to get their alignment uh, finally. Uh, and then in the end, it makes them an amazing team. And we're not going to dwell too much on team stuff today, but, you know, 
we do like the all the stories of the individuals. So um, anyway, keep going. But I just wanted to touch on that for a second. Well, the improvisation is. It's interesting that you point that out because they they're all used to being extremely in the moment, improving with the different kind of lives that they lead. And they've, for the most part, been pretty successful. I mean, you know, we see different rockets been broken out of 16 prisons or whatever, like he says. So, like, he's doing pretty well improving, and and Peter's doing the same thing and Gamora. And when they come together, they realize that, like, hey, we can achieve more working together. But they don't give up the improvisation at all. In fact, this is a movie where, like, plan A basically never works. So they're always, it's like a heist movie in a way. They're always going to a plan B and C, and they're having to work together in order to be able to do that. So I think underneath of it, underneath, like, that planning layer where it's hard to get everybody to align and the decision-making layer, right, which is kind of a part Uh-oh. of that, maybe a sub-part of that planning layer. Like, you need shared values. You need shared experiences or something that's at a deeper layer than that. That way, when you go to improvise, you're able to move quickly. I mean, I just, Derek, I think you and I are a great example of that. And some of the other people that that we collaborate with often, we work very quickly. We improvise often And we do it despite the fact that we don't always necessarily agree on how and when and stuff like that. We do it fairly successfully because we have shared understanding underneath of it, shared understanding of the vision, shared understanding of values to some extent. Right. Yeah, I think that's what the key is here, too, is that they, uh, you know, the group here, they don't like Thanos. They don't like uh, Ronan. Right. And they know that those guys are bad news. And I think that does draw them together. There is a little bit of um, well, it's interesting how self-preservation becomes team preservation. So I think that's really cool. So, you know, I think that's when like what you said, you know, when you have those shared values, you do kind of move from the self side of the spectrum to the team side of the spectrum. And you start to think about how do you preserve the network in business? It's going to be how do you preserve the network? How do you feed the network? How do you grow the network, right? And uh, you start looking at all the nodes and you say, and, and and you also, and I think one thing these guys do very well, and I don't know if it's just the way that the story is written, but everybody gets their moment to do something big in this movie. Um, they all get their moment and it just kind of like everything else gets quiet around that one person for that moment. And then they move to the next person in the team and so on and so forth. And I I think that's a, a stylistic thing. <clears throat> so what we see from the storytelling in this movie, right, is that we've got, you know, everyone gets their moment to shine. Uh, they get their moment in the spotlight, you know, that kind of thing. And so um, we've got this successive kind of round robin of, of this happening uh, throughout the movie. And I think that's... Um, that's a really great way to show it because, I mean, if you think about trying to show everyone's great moment all at the same time, it doesn't really work very well. I think about the prison breakout, you know, it's very chaotic and you re- really it's them doing a lot of little things, but it really that moment's about rocket. Right. Um, so you can kind of see like he takes the lead role. And I think that's what's so cool about some of the dynamics here uh, of people who are spontaneous. <clears throat> you, there, there's kind of an unwritten rule 
with spontaneity is that maybe sometimes you got to turn down the volume on spontaneity while someone else is exhibiting that when you're talking about getting something done in business, um, you know, you, you want to have that, uh, as a thought in your mind. Now I will say this, a lot of people who are spontaneous and have a lot of ideas and I'm talking about typically this is the type seven, right? They just have a lot of ideas. Um, a lot of times they're not aware that they are an enthusiast and that they are really on the spectrum of a lot of ideas. And so it, when you know, then you can actually, uh, you know, allow some space so that someone else with a similar uh, skill set. So that's why I say it's it, it can be very challenging uh, to get those that are very spontaneous to work together because they're always trying to out spontaneity the other person. <laughs> so it's like this spontaneous horse race. And honestly, it gets really exhausting because you're like, oh, man, there's a lot of ideas here. They're all paper thin. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can attest to that being, you know, having a wing seven there. I, I do throw out a lot of ideas and sometimes they are paper thin. And it's like to other people, you're like, man, like what? how do I determine significance and what's happening here? Right. It's like, there's so much being tossed out that like, where's the depth, everything to me, like it's all just being thrown at me and like, I'm in the shallow end of the pool and I'm trying to figure out where the depth is. And I don't even know which direction the deep end of the pool is in at this point. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it feels like an asteroid field. You know, if you go through the asteroid field, the star Wars, you know, and you got these things, bang, bang, and they're all hitting the hull. And every time you hit, it hits the hull, it's really you thinking through what that idea means to you, right? And it takes energy to do that. So this is why, you know, and again, these are all combat sequences, a lot of these in this movie. But if you think about how, um, you know, the exchange of ideas is really tantamount to action in real life, Um you know, you can think about how every time someone espouses an idea, you know, you it takes energy from you and everybody else in the room. So I had to tell myself that as well. I had to slow myself down. And I think that's 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 just a, a, a piece of this that I think is teachable here, which is, uh, you know, watch watch the, the throttle on your idea stream and make sure that you are, you know, you know, saving some back. You know, one great example, or sorry, one great solution for that is just have a fishbowl, uh, a place where you just, you know, write it on a piece of paper and drop it in or a digital fishbowl, whatever it may be, but write down some of those great ideas. And then even it's funny because like you're in the moment, you're having the idea and you go back later and you're like, that is the dumbest idea. <laughs> I've had that so many times. I'm like, man, but if I change this one thing, so ideas are always going to be gestating. Now it's just, the question is, will you be telling people about it? You know, and again here, right? If all these guys went and did all their hearts content, this movie would be utter chaos. So notice the the round robining of of how they're handling it. That's that was my main thing. That's I love real- it. The interlocking of of the spontaneity, right? That's the secret. When you're gonna be a team that that pivots often and kind of operates very spontaneously in kind of how, how you react to things in a lot of sectors and, and spaces. That's a, those are good attributes to have. You obviously don't want to be too spontaneous, but those are good attributes to have when you are that team. You have to learn how to seed to other people. And that's something that I've been working on over the last couple of years for sure. And I feel like I've been getting better at, I got a recent performance review that 
specifically talked about that type of thing in my communications and said like you know my boss said she said that I I was improving in that area significantly so I appreciate that even fans of the show might be like well you talk over Derek sometimes and so I'm still definitely working on it nowhere near <laughs> nowhere near where I need to be I just like to be vulnerable and transparent in in this wonder tour that we're going on with everybody just say like yeah that's absolutely something that I struggle with is learning when to seed the spontaneity I mean we can look at it just as a simple example in wonder tour right it's like I you and I both have this spontaneous burst of ideas about the content and we feed off of each other on it. And oftentimes we have you have to figure out, like, what spontaneous rabbit hole are we going to go down? Because we don't make these episodes like six hours long, even though we could. So we only get to go down so many spontaneous rabbit holes and we have to listen to each other and really try to figure out what the wisdom is in that situation and and, and take turns being spontaneous. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's that's so much a lesson here for sure. And this. Yeah, I know you're right on. I mean, and I want to be vulnerable, too, and say that this has helped me, you know, it helped me shut up more. <laughs> and and that's good. That's a good thing. Um, you know, and people would say in the, uh, the developmental circles, they would say well, that's called active listening. And you just need to just sit there and listen. And, and and I get that. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense, but it is fun to say sometimes that you just need to shut up more to yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I can I can treat myself like that. I'm still treating myself with grace. I, you know, I'm 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 still, you know, I, I'm still understanding like, you know, that it's 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 OK, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's good stuff there, Drew. I really like that. I like how you tied it back to what we're doing here, which is, you know, I don't know. It's a bit of an open experiment of sorts, um, you know, as we try to figure out magnanimous leadership and and uh, wonder about a lot of things in our favorite stories. Right. So it's it's good stuff. Like it. All right. Let's then after this spontaneous rabbit hole, let's bring ourselves back to the main line of the story. So they're breaking out of the they're breaking out of the kiln. This is another one of those just really fun scenes to watch. You can't take your eyes away from it you're laughing a lot of the time the ways that the characters interact is brilliant there's it's just over the top and and thoroughly enjoyable and it kind of ends with quill going and stealing his uh his headphones and his walkman back from the guard he's listening to it which is another you know fun part and then you start to see like the fragmentation of the team at the end there when Rockets and Gamora are talking and Rockets like, let's just leave him like he has a death wish. The human with a death wish. <laughs> it's like, just let uh-huh. him go. And that, but of course, Quill comes through because Quill, if there's one thing that he is, it's loyal. Right. He, and he when he says he's going to do something, he does it. We, we don't really see any scenario. He kind of plays tricks on people sometimes. But when he says he's going to do something, he does it and he comes back through for the team. And this starts to change. It's not one event that's going to change, but it starts to change the way that some of the other kind of loners on the team think because they start to see that they can do better by working together and that maybe they can just put a little bit more trust in each other. Yeah, I mean, he does shock him, right? When and <laughs> Drax is like, I forget exactly what he says, but you, you are an idiot, you know, because uh, you went back for a Walkman. Um, but you know, I think he was sending us, they didn't, they didn't obviously know what a Walkman was, but let's just assume they knew what a Walkman was and knew the importance of having a soundtrack, what that was to Quill, you know, um, he's got to have his music. It's just essential. It's, you know, the central part of who he is. And, um, yeah, you know, and I, what was interesting there too, is that remember he took the orb with him, 
because he hadn't quite uh, learned to trust these other spontaneous characters, uh, you know, that, you know, that he has met and linked up with. And I will say this, that I think they're still in the middle of rectifying um, what is it that these other people are doing to me? So if you think about somebody who's spontaneous, who doesn't know they're spontaneous, uh, you know, they say to themselves, man, these people are always trying to be crazy and, and make their decisions very quickly. They don't even have the self-awareness, you know, that he, he doesn't necessarily have that self-awareness yet. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting, but it's a journey, right? And so when they get to nowhere, um, you know, it, it's still, it still is going on. You know, they're trying to figure that out between them. So I'll let you pick it back up there if, if you're continuing on. Well, the, I, uh, I think we should stop here and talk about Yondu a little bit. I don't know. I think the mentor situation, we can just kind of take a break before we get to nowhere, which is like the main event for me of this movie. I love nowhere. We talked about it at the beginning. Let's talk about yeah. Yondu here as the mentor for Quill, because this is a different type of mentor. We've kind of started to fall into a little bit of a routine here in a good way of trying to come up with some standard types of mentors that we have in our lives and that we can be. So Derek, what type of mentor is Yondu for you? Uh, well, you know, we, we were talking about it, right? We're, we characterized him as the crusty exterior mentor. Um, that may, that name may be tweaked later. Uh, you know, it could be something like armor plated mentor. Um, but anyway, we'll go with crusty exterior cause it's more fun and, and vibrant for this episode. Um, you know, he's, he's got a lot of, I would say terrifying, like empty threats. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, how you feel about when someone says something like that, you know, and just in general, but I, you know, if I were Quill, I would be taking him very seriously, but Quill doesn't, you know, because he knows him. He knows his history. Um, he's got a lot of tough love angles, right? Um, but there's something specific that Yondu does with Quill from the very beginning, Drew. You, you want to, you know, what does he do, you know? Yeah, well, he takes him in, number one. So it's kind of like a Mandalorian foundling type of a situation, right? I think Quill is a foundling, and and we don't hear about it, and I'm not very familiar with these comics, but Yondu seems to be a foundling as well, potentially. That might be why he connects to him, much like Din and Grogu in The Mandalorian. So he, he takes him in, and he kind of chooses to be his mentor. We can tell that. Yondu cares about Quill, despite the fact that he puts up this rough exterior and is kind of kind of jostling him around all the time, seemingly trying to use him to make money. But in the end, like it's it's clear for all to see by the end of the movie that what Yondu really wants is a son that he can spend time with and stuff, right? So Yondu he, Quill succeeds in kind of breaking through this this calloused exterior of Yondu, and and Yondu. He, so you might not in your life maybe think that you have like a calloused exterior mentor or person, but think about it a different way maybe. Just humor me here. Let's think about it. We talk about fixed and, and open mindsets on this Wonder Tour. Think about people that have a fixed mindset and that there might be a like a high crossover in the Venn diagram of the people who have a calloused exterior and the people who have a fixed mindset. They're the type of people that you, you, especially if you're like an Enneagram type seven and you're always proposing new ideas that are always kind of like finding ways to 
just divert around what you're <laughs> what you're offering because they're like, nope, like I know how this works. I just want to do it this way. Like, you know, they're skeptical of things. Um, and they, by and large, they don't like to consider new ways of of doing things. So Quill, how does Quill work within that parameter with Yondu as a mentor? Because Quill doesn't try to get away from Yondu, really. As much as he's running away from him a little bit, you can tell that Quill likes Yondu. <laughs> like, when they, they have warm interactions, almost, despite the fact that they're in, like, really tense situations. Yeah, I think it's playful excuses. So I think when you get into playful excuses, you can kind of appeal to um the person underneath the person so you know you've got the crusty exterior that's the external you know kind of persona he has but inside he's like he's soft right and and this is where quill you know pokes holes uh through and he's just like almost i don't want to say in a, in a way he's kind of like confirming like you're still yondu inside right you know and you know yondu you know kind of be like no i i, I told him those guys i'll they're going to eat Taryn. I said, no, don't eat that. You know, uh, you know, and, and it's just like, he'd say that like over and over, like, they're going to eat you boy, you know? And, and it's just, <laughs> he keeps, he keeps trying to like basically change the subject in a way. Right. Isn't that what that is? Is that kind of like a defense mechanism of sorts? Like they said, they're going to eat you. You know, he, I mean, he says it like five times in the movie um, and he does it to, this is so interesting, right? So you got your fixed mindset. You're going to defend your fixed mindset with distraction, right? So you're going to talk about, you know, what they wanted to do to Quill, you know. And so but it, um, it, eventually it falls down on him, right, because his his people stop believing, the majority of them. And then he has this, you know, his, his whole mutiny on his ship, you know, that kind of, you know, reverses, turns the tables on him. Of course, he turns the tables back on them. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I just think that's kind of interesting. He will, he, he has, and did defend his fixed mindset for quite a long time in this story, you know, the narrative, uh, across multiple movies. I won't talk about the second movie cause we'll probably hit that at some point. And it's a, it's a beautiful story about, you know, um, it's interesting. Um, you know, fixed mindset. Sometimes people go down with the ship with that. Don't they? They do because they're a fixed mindset is extremely heavy. And what you were talking about there when you were saying like he has a fixed mindset and he protects it. I was like just thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, a fixed mindset pretty much comes, you know, you it's buy one, you know, it comes it comes packaged with a security system. That's how it works. <laughs> if, <laughs> yeah, it's like a fort with big high walls, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You you're, you're protecting your you know whatever you're. I, if you think about it like Inception, right, like you have like this, you know, the way that they when they're in the the bottom layer of the dream and they're in the um, spoilers for Inception and they like go into the house and they're finding that the, the inside the the safe, they find the top and stuff. Right. It's like there's such a big defense mechanism around this central like belief that you have and. What the dangerous part is when you kind of like tie those beliefs to yourself. And I don't think that he's at that kind of, Yondu's at that kind of a state where like his, his fixed mindset is now like intrinsic to him because at that point you can't separate ideas from your ego. And if somebody disagrees with you, you're, 
you know, you can't have a conversation with them basically because everything feels like it's attacking you. So what we want to do is we want to have a, you know, our ego exists. We can't, you know, as much as some people are on a mission to kill the ego and it's a, you know, maybe a noble cause, maybe not, I don't know, but you, you need to have floating kind of floating models around that, that are not directly tied to the ego, because as soon as they become tied to the ego, that's when you start to form this like really crusty, exterior around yourselves that that other people can't break into yeah i mean i like how you said that because that you you're kind of applying a volume to ego and i think that's interesting um yeah i I think you know ego i'm not gonna say minimized i'm gonna say ego equalized um if you have kind of an equalized space there you know i think that's probably where you're wanting to go um which is what is that? You have a strong self-identity. Uh, what are your unique characteristics? This is not about extinguishing your your own unique characteristics, right? Yandu has some very unique, I would say crafty, uh, and he's a good deal maker. He's a good deal maker. He makes deals with all these guys on his ship. And I think that's a lot of his influence, right? Um, you know, with how he acts. If he were in a quiet room with just Quill, I don't think he would say half the things he says, right? But, he, but if you think about all the moments, oh wait, the second I'm on, and again, I'm not going to spoil it, but the second movie has this moment where it's just him and Quill, right? And there you see the real Yondu, and it just totally validates how we're thinking about this. So I think the, it's interesting, but sometimes I think the crust kind of is a an optional thing for some people with fixed mindsets they can drop the crusty layer um but you have to have the right circumstances to do that so i don't know it, it's just something to think about not not necessarily anything super specific but he definitely um leads quill in terms of making deals and leads quill in terms of you know giving him honestly some goals I mean, it's funny when you I think it'd be overwhelming if you had a spaceship and you could go anywhere in the galaxy and it just took a certain amount of time. Um, and maybe it wouldn't be that bad because, uh, you know, you have like these some space movies are kind of like, well, you have to go to sleep for a long time and all the other people on the other planets are going to age. And, you know, uh, that's not the situation we see here with Guardians of the Galaxy. We see that space travel has become pretty trivial we go to this planet, we go to that planet. I think that's important to think about. So think about how you have all these overwhelming possibilities and all these things you could go, quote unquote, steal because you're a ravager. Um, you know, I think that's something that Yandu provides some framework to quill about. Now, what about when you're in an organization, you know, and you are overwhelmed by that, you know, and you come in and, yeah, maybe you got somebody who's a little crusty, but, you know, they – they can give you some good goals, can't they, Drew? I think that the way that Yondu works with Quill is it it in some ways it's a little bit toxic. So I don't wanna I don't wanna dance around that too much because there's no reason for him to be like the kind of condescending and and the way that he talks to Quill, it's not really right. But like you said, of course you can learn from any situation. And yeah, he does provide a he provides a way to view the world that quill can learn from and it's honestly it's probably more valuable to somebody who is like formed and and aged and has a has an open mindset to see him 
and look at him that way. And I think that I what the way that I look at it, Quill's interactions with Yondu show that Quill does care about Yondu, of course. He's wanting to mend the relationship with Yondu. He he's looking for ways to do that, and he knows that he's not, he doesn't necessarily have all the answers. So I think for me, like the way that I can kind of abstract this out and look at this conceptually, then take it to an application level is like when you're dealing with somebody with a fixed mindset, Quill pokes and prods at that security system around the fixed mindset and tries to find vulnerabilities in it. And he does it by bringing contrast to it. So he does it by instead of having the expected result from Yondu threatening him and stuff like that, he comes back with confidence and he comes back with kind of jokes and stuff like that. Right. And part of that's Quill's own defense mechanism. Um, So I don't want to say that that's like the best way to do it, but we all have to figure out how we do that for ourselves. But we I think we all want to have a way to break through the security system around a fixed mindset, because as leaders who are in this for the good of others, those are the you know, those are people, too. Those are people that we have an opportunity to reach, that we have an opportunity to help um, just, you know, not by any not by us being a savior or anything, but, but just by us being there and being a part of their lives. And so rather than just kind of shut those people out because they come with a fixed mindset and that fixed mindset is is harder to deal with or work with for for us we can look for ways to throw and shed contrast against that mindset and and figure out what's working, right? Quill's had a lot of opportunities to do this, and this is a short movie, so we don't get to see all of it, but it obviously he's had plenty of time to work with his pseudo dad of Yondu and he kind of adopted father. And he's found that he has effective ways of breaking through that security system. So I don't want to in my experience, I just don't want to get too bogged down with that. You don't want to spend all of your energy trying to break through someone's security system because that's not your job necessarily. You, you know, unless you're maybe that person's, you know, parent or direct leader or something like that in an organization, then it's not really your job to break through to everybody. But I do see it as a magnanimous leader. I want to when I have the opportunities in the present, I want to be there and try to break through people's calloused exteriors and try to get to them so that I can, you know, just maybe they can find for themselves some truth that they were missing that will help them to develop and to continue the road of progression towards a good character. Yeah, and I think the uh, <clears throat> the cherry on the top there, I think, is that, you know, OK, we talked about how Yondu chose Quill and through that. Will chose Yondu uh, back, <clears throat> and I think that that's really those are the mechanics of building a relationship with somebody, isn't it? Um, that we, you know, we we tend to search out and choose certain individuals to work with, to build relationships with, to build networks with, and when they choose us back, then the network is truly extended. Um, and I, so I think that's something to reflect on from today's episode, you know, just in general, but, um, uh, let's, let's go to the moment. What do you think? Let's go to the moment. So we talked about nowhere a little bit stylistically. We love the, the way that Gunn and the team have handled nowhere. It really feels like Tatooine kind of Mos Eisley vibe to it. There's just brilliant colors in this kind of like 
when you're looking out through like the I don't know if it's the eyes of the ancient creature skull or whatever, but like you see all these colors and the colors are kind of like shining in on this like mining operation. It looks almost a little bit Tokyo-y in there to some extent with the way that the buildings are set up. This place is really cool. There's some, I'm not going to go deep into what happens here. There's some conflicts between the different members of the Guardians of the Galaxy here. They go to sell the Power Stone to the Collector, to Benicio del Toro. That deal goes wrong because um, Karina ends up grabbing the stone to try to escape her servitude to the Collector. And that's when everything goes crazy. Then Drax calls in Ronan and the Kree, and everything's falling apart here. The Guardians are kind of turning on each other to some extent. They also like have some recognition that they need to work together, though, as we see like Peter and Quill working together. But they kind of they do go into some kind of rabbit holes where they're they're going off on their own, even though they probably should have learned that that's not the best way to go. So our moment though is when. They're outside, like entering like the atmosphere or whatever around nowhere. And Gamora is outside of the ship and she's starting to freeze. And it's like it's this really strong image there. And Quill and Rocket are talking and Quill decides to improvise here. And Rocket advises against it. But Quill decides to improvise to save Gamora. So he takes off his mask. He, he floats out there. He calls Yondu. So he basically gets himself into a load of trouble because he sees this as his only path to being able to save Gamora. So he makes this sacrifice and he takes his mask and he puts it on her so that she can breathe. And you just see his body is like crystallizing almost in the like freezing in the atmosphere. And he does, he, he escapes in this moment, but something happens. Rocket is standing there or is sitting there in the ship watching. And it's, it doesn't make sense to Rocket. Why? Quill does this, why he saves Gamora here. But as the movie progresses, we see, I personally, the way that I read this, this is the crucial moment of the movie. And it's mapped, or it's aligned directly at the same time to, to Groot saving Drax. So this is the critical moment in the formation of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Quill decides to make a selfless sacrifice to save Gamora, and it basically influences the rest of the team to start to change who they are, or really, I guess it takes a long time to change who they are, but they start to make better decisions. They start to make more team oriented, more aligned decisions here. So Derek, what do you, what do you get out of this moment of saving Gamora? Well, you know, on the top level, you know, it's all, you know, you could say, Oh, it's, it's sacrifice. It's sacrifice. Well, there's more to the sacrifice story, right? And I think, you know, the thing that we were kind of kicking back and forth is, um, you know, you can't necessarily go into it saying that something is going to 100 percent change just because you did something big. You make some big sacrifice and now you're expecting uh, <laughs> as a magnanimous leader, I, you, you really have no guarantees. Right. You You can't say that. 80% chance that they're going to, that someone's going to change uh, the way they feel about you just because you make a big sacrifice. Right. No, you can't. That's, that's one of the key takeaways from this moment here. I think I, I want to get into probabilistic thinking, but before that, I want to talk about how Quill is leading by example. 
this is something that's talked about a lot in leadership books and and content. So, you know, I was introduced to it at a very young age, the idea of leading by example. You know, most companies must probably have it somewhere in their management policies or whatever, right, where they they talk about how we want people who lead by example. Up until now, this team is like a, a bunch of loners. And at this moment, Quill starts to align them by making the the right decision in the moment to lead by example. And he sets himself out. He puts himself out there. He might die. And he's OK with that because this he was making the decision that he knew to be right in the moment. And it, it was a it was a decision that's selfless. So I, I can as, as somebody's on a wonder tour to become a magnanimous leader, I can identify with that. So. We see how this changes Rocket. Rocket, he and he still has a little bit of that thinking afterwards, but slowly but surely, Rocket is is the inside, but like the change that's happening him in to him inside is coming out. So instead of running, instead of you know, like he said, all right, just let Ronan destroy the, you know, let Ronan destroy Xandar, and we'll go, you know, we'll just run for as long as we can from him. <laughs> He's he starts to buy into this narrative that like the universe is worth saving and that he gets to play a part in that, that these people do care about him, that even though they're not perfect, like again, Drax brings this whole thing down on their heads and yet, and, and, and Rocket doesn't necessarily let him forget that. And, and we don't just want to overlook things like that. It's not it's not really a good idea to overlook when somebody makes a blunder like that. Right. You can't just overlook it because you'll start to build up contempt for that person if you don't process those feelings. But this it, it, it's almost like everybody, all of the different characters. And I'm not going to have a chance to talk about each of them from time's perspective. But this moment starts to turn the rudder of their ships to be aligned so that suddenly they're going the same direction. Yeah, I think that, you know, with Rocket, you know, you have this inversion moment. We talked about it in um, the uh, Greatest Showman episode uh, where, you know, you can say something. So this is an implicit inverting moment. Um, And I think this fits nicely with your uh, lead by example piece, right? Examples aren't necessarily explicit to other people outside of the situation, and so with the situation with Gamora, you know, he's he's saving her. Right. And he didn't say anything explicitly to Rocket, which would be. And this is where you got to watch the finger wagging. Um, do you see what I did? This is, magnanimous leader is never going to do this. Did you see what I did? That was so good. You should change your mind. No, no, we never want to do that. Why do we never want to do that? Because that engenders uh, a reaction that is just like, you're a jerk, right? And then the defenses go right back up because Rocket very much has his fixed mindset. His fixed mindset is self-preservation is king. Self-preservation is king. And there are many people out there like that 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 maybe sail with that ship. I mean, you know, there were, there were times earlier in my career probably where I had a self-preservation is king type mindset or – or, or it could have been my quest is the king, you know, uh, which is like I'm on my quest. I'm doing my thing, uh, you know, and I don't necessarily need to link up with anybody. That's that's the mindset of the lone wolf, uh, you know, the loner. And like, you know, I'm on this, you know, like if you were just to take your own wonder tour with nobody else and you never shared any of your insights, um, you know, 
it's it becomes that feedback loop and you don't grow you know it just continues to reinforce that you should save yourself saving yourself is good that's important and so that's what you know i i there's so much power in implicit uh you know examples here and and i wanted to really highlight that here in this situation i think that's why this moment's so powerful is it's so implicit but it, those who notice it i.e rocket um are changed forever so that that's good i like that drew we don't want to prop ourselves up exactly yeah that's not that's not what a leader does a leader doesn't search for power a leader doesn't search for money or credit or any of those things right that's the opposite of what a magnanimous leader does so in doing so we're the, the leader isn't about taking the credit isn't about putting themselves on blast ever it's just you do the right things when the opportunity arises and that takes us to this idea of probabilistic thinking here so there's a uh, an idea out there or a, a concept called probabilistic thinking um, it, to some of you, it might be obvious to others. You might never have heard of this before. The idea is that we think on a probabilities curve, right? We try to understand what might happen based on the decision that we make here. So probabilistic thinking is very helpful in certain hey, scenarios. Hey, as before you get deep into this, I'd like to give a really good example that I think works really well. Um, stairs. <laughs> So when you go down the stairs, when you go up the stairs, you are really saying with a, I would say a 99% chance, there's a 1% chance that stairs broken. Okay. You could be at the house back in a fight club and you might run across a stair that's broken. So, you know, just keep that, keep that house in your mind about, you know, when you're thinking about probabilistic thinking, you know, they, this is, they, they also call it a, uh, Bayesian, uh, I forget something like yeah, that. Yeah, anyway, theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that that's more like on the machine learning side of things, you know, where they have these algorithms that are like, you know, whatever. They they make these probabilistic uh, things, but you know, I'm just saying, like, it's in everyday life. When I, uh, you know, press the thermostat on my AC, I expect that it degrees to go up and down. You know, you just there's just certain expectations you have. So I just wanted to like tie that in you know, to normal everyday life and things that we do normally. The floor is not going to disappear when I walk across it. We're not playing the Mario Brothers game, you know. So uh, just throwing that out there. Want to make sure we preface it with that. Now go deep into the stuff like what you're going to. I just wanted Perfect. to make sure we talk about yeah, that. That's helpful. Anytime we can stop to have these little like ways of explaining things. I've also heard a similar like anecdote about you you trust that where you parked your where you left your car is where it's going to be when you come back. You haven't seen it for hours a lot of the time, but you just go back to that spot trusting that nobody's stolen it, it's not been towed, anything like that. You right? Probabilistic thinking tells you there's a 99% chance that this is going to be like this, so there, in my brain I'm just going to think about it like a 100% chance basically um, because it helps me. So probabilistic thinking in a lot of ways is helpful like from a mathematics perspective, from a business perspective, very useful. But the downside of probabilistic thinking is that in relationships, probabilistic thinking is kind of toxic because you are now seeing like so let's let's put ourselves in Quill's shoes. If he's using a probabilistic mindset here, he's realizing that if we want to save the universe, I'm going to have to change these people. And by ma by making this decision to save Gamora, I, I'm going to give myself higher odds of being able to get rad, get Rocket in line to get to get Drax in line or Gamora in line and stuff like that, right? That to me is not a helpful way of thinking. It's like probabilistic thinking is helpful, 
and it, you can consider it in that scenario, but that's not how we want to operate. And so what's the alternative to probabilistic thinking here? This is how I think a magnanimous leader could operate. Instead, we want to put ourselves in situations where we can make a difference and develop the type of character to make the right decision when we're in the moment, right? Instead of looking for a moment where we can make a huge impact, we put ourselves in the type of situations where, where we, we eventually will come upon that moment and we develop our character in such a way that we'll be able to make the right decision, that we'll be able to make the sacrifice, that we'll be able to, to do whatever we need to do in order to benefit everyone else. You know what's hard about that? I think it's going to be hard for, you know, those listening and even even us, I think, is that there are going to be times where you're going you're going to make that action. It's going to be sacrificial and nothing happens. And you have to let go of the expectation. And that's where the probabilistic thinking is at. Right. Probabilistic thinking sets up an expectation and it's an unrealistic expectation many times. Why is that? It's because it comes out of your imagination <laughs> and your imagination fabricates all kinds of unrealistic expectations all day long. And it's something that has to be tamed. Um, you know, it has to be uh, not tamped down. You don't want to squash your imagination. It's just that imagination needs to come in at the right time in the right context. If you let your imagination, and I'm the king of this, if you let your imagination run all the time, um, you are probably going to have a lot, of, like you're going to be worried about a lot of things uh, happening, right? Oh my gosh, everything has a hundred percent probability. You know, like that's the dark side of probabilistic thinking, which is just like uh, meteors are going to fall from the sky. Missile's going to hit my car. Uh, I'm going to have a flat tire. Everything's going to go wrong, you know? And so, you know, you just got to think about, like, there are good types of probabilistic thinking, like stairs. We talk about stairs and we talk about your car is probably going to be there when it gets back, when you get back. Um, but yeah, be careful about expectations. I think those are the, those are really, uh, in a way, the hot air that some people float through life on. Right. And, uh, it's uh, it's it can be, you know, it could be dangerous to your progress, you know, and your you know, uh, but sometimes, you know, so the magnanimous leaders just got to be OK with this might not work out, you know, and stand firm on that, knowing that I always tell myself if it doesn't work out, I'm sure there's something I can learn from this. And even if there isn't something I can learn from this, I'm going to work. I mean, I'm I'm a hopeless optimist. I, I hope that comes across here. <laughs> um, but but if there is something that I do not get out of it, at least I can minimize the amount of time that this situation takes place, that this pain that I went through took place. Um, and you chalk it up to not everything's going to work out. It's just it's just not. And and so we don't want to we don't want to sugarcoat, you know, every particular situation that you sacrifice. But, you know, uh, that's not what it's about, right? It's not about what you get out of it. And I think that's what we're trying to kind of work towards here. Well, character development isn't very visible in the present in yourself or in others. And since here on the Wonder Tour, we're big in character development, these, this leading by example, you can think of a, 
I'm sure each of us can think of examples in our lives where somebody else has led us by example. And in the moment, maybe sometimes it was obvious, like this is a revelation to me, but other times it probably wasn't as obvious. And so we would even, we might not even recognize that it happened. So I think the takeaway for me here is like, you have to, you know, you, you just put yourself in the positions to make a difference. You have the type of character to make the right decision. And then thirdly, you don't worry about the the physical results of it normally, because when you're talking about kind of like throwing these seeds of character development, you know, sowing the seeds of character development, watering the seeds in other people, a lot of times you're not going to be the one that's going to actually be able to harvest that that fruit or whatever that you're growing in your in other people, ideally. And, and even with your even with you, other people generally get to harvest the fruit of, of you having a good character, your family, your coworkers, whoever, they get to harvest the fruit of you having a good character. So you can't expect that the results are going to be explicit all the time. They're, they're not just going to be there and obvious. They're going to be implicit. And you're going like we're going to need to continue to just make the right decisions in in every situation as often as we possibly can, even though the results aren't always paying off in the physical reality. Yeah, this is one of those moments where I'm just like, I cannot add anything to that. That was awesome. Good job, Drew. I like that a lot. Um, why don't we move into the morals on this story? Ooh, because yeah. I think super fun. Like, uh, and, and well, I just, oh, I just let the cat out of the bag. Fun. Fun as a moral in this movie. Um, so much to revel in. That was kind of our, our kick around phrase on this one. And um, so let's talk about that one for a little bit. Fun. Yeah. So just to just to wrap the end of the movie, they're going to go through. Um, they're going to have this confrontation with Ronan outside of Xandar. They're going to come together to be able to fight Ronan. Groot is going to sacrifice himself so that the rest of the Guardians can live when the ship goes down. And then they're all going to stand together and grab this power stone. And that's when they like fully form into the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. It's like through that sacrifice, through the through the selflessness that they're now showing they kind of have shed that the old selves and become this new image, this collective image of Guardians of the Galaxy. And they're still so unique and so type seven, right? But that it, they are becoming, they also have a, a, a image together and they're realizing that. And they're able to, even this ragtag group is able to overcome this like super powerful being wielding the most powerful you know tool in the universe, essentially in the Power Stone. And it, they have fun every step along the way when they crash the ship into when they, they crash the Guardian's ship into the big uh, Ronin's ship. When Drax gets out, he's like, I don't forget what he says, but he's like immediately having fun with it. And you can tell that that the, the Groot saving him, that that seeing Quill sacrifice himself, he suddenly he says like he actually has family again. He has friends again. And so instead of just living this reckless life, where he's just kind of waiting to die, which is exactly what, what's happening when they meet him. Um, and even in the early early scenes when he's with the rest of the Guardians, now he's having fun and he's not just looking to die, right? He He's okay with death because that's kind of the guy that he is, but he's looking to to fulfill a purpose that's bigger than just we're going to kill Thanos, right? He, he has somebody else that believes in him and that's really powerful for him and this whole group they just play off each other they have so much fun the entire time i mean the ending there is 
is just pure fun, right? With the dance off with Ronan. I couldn't even believe that that's how they were going to end the movie when I watched it, but I loved every minute of it. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't even know how to characterize it, but I, I, uh, I certainly try to do that sometimes myself, um, in various situations where I think things are just, oh, they're too routine. They're too, uh, let's say grayscale, you know, and you got to bring in the seasoning and the vibrancy again. You have to bring in the peaks and the valleys. You got to bring in the colors. You got to bring in the the taste of the situation, the smell, you know, all these different things that, you know, the, the five senses and just, you know, fill the room with some variety uh, once again, because things can get they can get bogged down. And, you know, also it's, it was just a great distraction. Right. Um, but I love that because it really repeats the the contrast line that we talked about um, at the beginning when he starts dancing uh, things are so super serious. This is going to be another sci-fi movie where holograms are emitted and treasure is found and lasers are fired, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, uh, come and get your love, you know, and it's just, you know, that right there. I mean, what does that do? What does that do to you, Drew, if you're in a thought pattern? What does that do to your thought pattern when that happens? Yeah, it, it helps to break up a what's becoming a solidified mindset or a solidified pattern in your head. I So here's where we're going to talk about the vibrancy, right? It, it kind of aligns, fits, we'll figure out along the way how it fits in with fun, I think. This movie, my biggest takeaway every time I watch this movie is this thing is vibrant. It makes me as an individual want to be vibrant, right? The colors are just blasting off the charts. The, 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 the soundtrack, the style of Quill and of the other Guardians. I mean, everything is just like a little bit overblown. Like they turned up the, they turned it all up to 11 essentially. And it, it just makes for this like really, really, I, I don't even know what word I'm looking for here. It, it just makes the world feel like so like a sense of purpose to it and a sense of just like weight to it. Yeah. And whenever you have these like, you know, the wide pictures of wherever they go, I, you know, it's it's really just reinforced over and over. So in a daily life, right, we're talking about we talk about just stopping and smelling the roses, basically. Right. Um, and the roses could take all kinds of different uh, forms. You know, it, it could be something as simple as the sunrise. I think that's the one, you know, that everybody talks about walking on the you know, you got people that are always saying stuff like walking on the beach. But what about someone taking a step out, you know, from, let's say we talk about fixed mindset a lot, you know, taking a step away from what they've normally done. Um, I don't know, for me, it's when somebody who, this is so dorky, but whatever, um, you know, they haven't been writing code, they haven't been a programmer, and all of a sudden they say, you know what, I think I can do this. Um, And they don't necessarily explicitly say that, you just see it happen. And, uh, that's pretty neat. Uh, again, super nerdy, super dorky one. Um, but w- whatever that routine is, and then stepping out and actually taking a chance to change that, and not doing it for somebody else's reaction, but doing it, but because they want to live with more vibrancy in life. They may not even under, they may not even know that word, you know, uh, entering into their mind. But it's definitely symbolic. Something feels different about doing it this way and 
And that's a beautiful thing to watch. Um, you got anything else to add on that one? Oh, do I? <laughs> Vibrancy, man. It to me, I just I want we want to live in the moment. We say that again that we want to live in the moment because the past and the future doesn't exist. And if we we say that we want to live in the moment, then we would ideally like that moment to be vibrant. Whether you're sitting on your porch reading a book, or you're you know you're waiting for to pick your kid up from school, or whatever that you know whatever highs or lows of the type of situation you're in, you you just want to live vibrantly. And it, it seems almost to me like when I wake up in the morning and I like go through my morning routine that I do every morning and stuff, I I'm living vibrantly. But by the time five o'clock rolls around, like my my vibrant mindset, I'm seeing the world in grayscale. And after I watch this movie, I just feel like I need to find a way to view the world more or to experience i guess because it's not just about like your optical sensor of the sensory of the world it's about like how you experience the world i want to vibrantly experience the world so derek how do we increase the vibrancy of the world around us because it's more of a perception thing right like we know reality or we, we suspect reality is pretty static or pretty constant for but we all we know that we all experience it differently yeah i mean you know one thing i that I was thinking about earlier was, you know, look for your, your own bias towards something. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, we were talking about kind of, you know, like some people only see mountains, right? Things to conquer. Uh, some people only see valleys. Those would be people that are predominant with risk. You know, that's a risk. That's a risk. Oh, you, know, you can't do that. That's risky, you know, and that really sucks it away it really sucks all the color out um all the vibrancy out of the situation when you are i was just saying with some predominant with something that you are either anticipating or afraid is going to happen so i guess those are both forms of anticipation so maybe it's about anticipation uh possibly that you know you're anticipating there's going to be a big challenge and I'm going to rise to it, you know, and you can get so amped up on that that you forget about, you know, saying hi to your FedEx guy uh, when he drops off your Amazon package, you know, just the little things. Right. Um, you know, I I honestly I love to drone out mowing the lawn. I love it. Um, it's a it's a full five cents experience. Um, and uh, I, I know that sounds, again, kind of on the nerdy spectrum, but. Um, you know, just when you're out there and you can really start to think about this plant grew a little more today than it did last week. And I think that's cool. And I think that's where we go back to people we see at work, uh, people we interact with at work. And we think about when you start thinking about that, I think that's super cool. It, it gives you, I mean, to me, it gives me like a real, um, you know, it's like a high of sorts, but like when you start thinking about what people have grown and you don't notice that if you're into your own thing, if you're into your own jam, uh, you kind of forget about what, how far people have grown and you lose track of that. You are missing out on vibrancy, my friend. Yeah. I mean, the, for me, when you said that, I was starting to realize it's about taking different perspectives. The diversity is so important when we, you have to take diverse perspectives 
in order to see the world vibrantly. Like think about it in terms of if you eat ice cream every day, then you, you know, you, it, it starts to become just this grayscale experience for you. But if you go on a hot day to the beach and you eat ice cream and you re, you, you look at it from the sip, wow, like I'm, I'm really fortunate to, to be here on the beach. I'm really fortunate to be eating this ice cream. Like it's cold on a hot day. You look at the contrast of it all. Suddenly that the taste of the ice cream in your mouth tastes better. <laughs> it's like you, yeah, yeah. your experience of the world is, is your, your senses are enhanced. And I think that it's, you know, I theorize that it's possible for us to capitalize on that pretty much all the time if we if we become good at living in the moment and we come become good at seeing it from different perspectives and slowing down. So how do you experience the world like Peter Quill? Because his experience of the world seems to be pretty awesome. I mean, there's definitely some downfalls just like everybody's. But he seems the way he experiences it, like through the highs and the lows. Right. He just thoroughly enjoys it. He listens to music. He dances through it. He sees the brightest colors. Like, I want to be like that. So I got to slow down, number one, it sounds like. Um, number two, taking different perspectives. And then number three I want to talk about is taking risks, right? The Guardians, we talked about improvisation. And part of that is, like, you got to be willing to take some risks. And I'm not saying that you got to, like, gamble big and stuff like that. But you, you, you can kind of like brush stroke color onto the memories that you have and onto the experiences that you have by taking risks, right? Like it feels good. You get a dopamine release when you, when you take a risk and it pays off. I'm not saying like these are huge gambles again. I'm saying like you bet on yourself to, to be that you can develop a skill, right? You even sometimes it is like, Hey, I'm going to invest in something that I believe in and it pays off. And honestly, even when those risks don't pay off most of the time, you still colored your experience Instead of having this, like, we talked about in the last episode, having, like, a finite endpoint, essentially, where you, like, narrow the range of outcomes until it's just, like, a single point. And, and that reduces the color. It reduces the vibrancy by which you view the world. And that is going, I mean, it, it just kind of dilutes your experiences. And so, sure, you have, you have certainty of what you're going to achieve. And sometimes there's value in that. But you're, you're making, you're, you're causing yourself to see the world in grayscale. Instead of being able to see all the colors, and again, I, I don't want to get too caught up in this because I know I, you know, I have friends who are colorblind and stuff like that. So it's not just about the, the the way that you view the world and the way that you see the colors. It's the way that you hear, that you taste, that you experience, that you think. Right? It's every little piece of it that makes up the vibrancy of how you experience the world. So as a magnanimous leader, really, it's like candidates to become magnanimous leaders. As I kind of think about myself and Derek here, we. We're, we're trying to see the world vibrantly and why not so that each one of us can have these grandiose experiences that nobody else is able to top so that we can tell about it, you know, when we meet up with our family. No, but so that by design, other people might see the example that we set and might be able to experience that vibrancy for themselves, no matter what their, you know, no matter what their experiences are, how they differ from you, no matter what constraints are on their life that might be different from your life, they might be able to see the vibrancy by which we live and be changed by it in a positive way, not so that the credit can come back to us as magnanimous leaders, but so that that person can go off into the world and can live and can be a beacon of vibrancy for other people. You wouldn't believe the vibrant week I've had. <laughs> uh, I just did what Quill would have done. Um, no, I, I, I really, 
you know, I am totally, uh, you know, uh, all for all that stuff, you know, that you just said, I can't re-say it because it's just like, I mean, I, even I, and I'll, I'll just divulge it. I go back and I listen to what Drew says and I'm like, man, that was really good, you know? Um, and sometimes at first I'm just like, man, I got to digest this later. Um, but that's just me. I mean, that's just who I am, you know? Um, so I love it. And I always go back and I learn something, uh, later when I hear what you say, Drew, there's those mind blowing segments that I keep going back to. And even sometimes some of them, it seems like no matter how many times I listen to it, I still keep getting, I see something different every time I hear you talk about it. I'm like, wow, I didn't even realize he was saying that the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the vibrancy, right? And that's how we can exchange vibrancy. And I, I think that, that uh, you know, the one, last thing I want to talk about here is the vibrancy alignment that goes on when you start to be vibrant around other people who are vibrant, holy cow, it creates a shockwave. Um, and this is kind of how the Guardians of the Galaxy movie ends. Um, you've got that kind of a shockwave, right? Wipes out Ronan. Um, think about that symbolically. Think about that synergistically in you, you know, your collaborators, the people who you work with, and how when you, you know, you're all kind of you know, let me let me hit one second, Derek. Keep going yeah, with this. But let me hit yeah. let me hit the, with the story segment here. The the yeah. moment Derek's talking about is when everything seems lost and Rocket shoots the rocket and hits the hammer. Right, they, they all are taking their turns improvising here. Peter does the dance thing. Rocket shoots, you know, shoots it and, and hits the hammer and destroys it. The power stone is up for grabs. Peter reaches out, grabs the power stone, and then all the guardians kind of come and grab it you know they, they join hands they lock arms together here and they there's this moment where there's like purple just like the the whole screen is purple and peter's eyes are purple and they're all looking at the screen and they just look freaking awesome <laughs> and and peter says we're the guardians of the galaxy and then boom the, the power stone shoots out and destroys ronin and that is the vibrancy that derek's talking about here <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that it's just it's so symbolic of any time that I've ever synergistically and in a balanced way worked with others to create, let's just say, a work product of some sort, whether that's I don't know. I mean, it could be something as mundane as a presentation. Uh, it could be the execution of a presentation, which is more fun, right, where you're you are improvising. Um, I think of those those times where, you know, you've got some high profile members of of the organization that you are explaining something to and you're all kind of taking your piece and you're you know you're part of it and you feel that balance and you feel a uniqueness in each segment that is unmatched that is the uh, alignment of vibrancy that i'm talking about and that is the synergistic shock wave that you can emit if you have all those people aligned together and they're not in it for themselves and they're in it uh, for uh, the good of the team, and they're they're really they got themselves on the line, like what Quill did well, with his sacrifice. They, you know, you you got yourself on the line. You're putting yourself out there, and you're not doing it for a probabilistic outcome. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do. Those are some of the best moments that I can think of um, in uh, my career when I have banded together the lone wolf situations. The loner situations they pale in comparison to the situations where i have synergistically worked with collaborators with people that they may be improvisers 
they may not be, you know, it's really hard to find, like, like Drew was saying, a lot of different improvisers to bring together in one place. Um, but you know, that's something, that's something you can learn too. You can learn to improvise, uh, at least a little bit. Some people are better at it than others, but this peak moment, this pinnacle moment, it's, it's something to shoot for, uh, when you're talking about, you know, bringing collaborators together is this, uh, vibrancy alignment resulting in a shockwave. So that's my final kind of moral, you know, takeaway, uh, from this story. I love it. You just layered on to the, you know, everything kind of came together in this one nicely. It doesn't always do that on the wonder tour. And it, it's, it's because it's, this is a wonder tour. We're wandering a lot of the time and we kind of, we stumble upon things that are important. We stumble upon things that are kind of on the side of the road and then we keep going. And then sometimes it kind of all stacks on top of each other and comes back together. So I really do appreciate how we kind of stacked on top of, uh, what we talked about initially, which is the the leading by uh, leading by example, then we were able to stack on the vibrancy on top of that and talk about how that um, how the vibrancy impacts you and then how it impacts those around you. And I want to explore more, you know, as we do this discussion, uh, this wonder tour of what it is to become a magnanimous leader. I'd love to talk more about vibrancy as the opportunity arises, because this is just something that I'm being you know, I, I've kind of known about, but it hasn't been at the forefront of my mind. And so now that it's kind of come more to the front, I'm thinking about when I see every other movie that I watch, when I experience daily life, I'm going to be looking for the vibrancy in it and trying to figure out what's the impact there and how does that shockwave, how do, how do you, how does that shockwave go out? Yeah, I like it. I like it. And yeah, so I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to close it out here. Um, if you had any additional thoughts that you want to toss out to us on this episode, hit us up on Twitter, uh, at the wonder tour and, um, drew, what do we have next time? Next time we're mixing it up. We're bringing parks and recreation. No idea what episode, but we're talking about parks and recreation. We want to try something a little bit different here. The wonder tour is just all about these stories and characters and how they've impacted us and, Derek and I both feel that Parks and Recreation has been something that's been, you know, has impacted us. It has left us changed from watching it. And we don't quite know how yet, but we're going to learn. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it really keys off the fun thing. So maybe we're on like a little bit of a fun binge right now. So I'm excited for it. And uh, all right, well, that we'll leave that uh, where it's at. And um, and remember, all those who wonder are not lost. See you next time. <laughs>